You're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in, and welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we're going to be talking about the third episode of Season 2, Always Two There Are. But as I can't talk about this by myself, I have Rebels Roundtable's own brother, Barrent. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back, guys. Let's talk some Rebels. And what an interesting, interesting show to talk about. And the man who talks more than a broken protocol droid, Nathan. Hey, that, that's very true. Hey, everybody. Ready for always two there are, right? Because there's two Inquisitors, or two Sith. I guess if it's always two, there needs to be two grand to quit. No, but there's one, and now he's gone, so now it's more like always zero. You know what? Screw it! Callback quotes are cool! Don't hurt yourself trying to think that one out, Nathan. So yes, we're taking a bit of a different turn, and I gotta say, this episode kind of made me think, and we'll also talk maybe a little bit later about the preview for more things coming up this season. Is season two of Rebels kind of Clone Wars 2.0? Well, I think that is a good question, Jonathan. I think you can argue it both ways. We didn't expect to have so many characters from the Clone Wars showing up in Rebels, did we? I mean, during the promotional stuff that was out there for Rebels, it was kind of really focusing on Ezra and and the whole crew and really wasn't giving up any kind of indication. You would hear stuff here and there of like the voice of Hondo going and visiting the rebel set and maybe dropping some lines and stuff here and there, but it wasn't really sure if it was for unfinished clone wars episodes or if it was for rebels. And we know now from the previews, it is for rebels. So you could say it's kind of clone wars 2.0. I wouldn't say that. I would say that this definitely makes clone wars a better show to watch for me and better memories. Uh, in fact, and the Clone Wars in itself made the prequel trilogy better, in my opinion. So I wouldn't call it quite 2.0, but it's you could argue. That's a good argument. I can see how you could get there. Because it's not just the characters that they're starting to pull now. I mean, last week we had, or the last two weeks, we had the original clone commanders. Now we have Captain Rex being a ongoing character in the crew. They also have some of the sets, and we have the Republic medical facility that most of the action in this episode takes place, and that's a direct pull from several episodes of Clone Wars, including the movie itself. So it turns out, though, that it's not even just the characters and situations and the locations. Some of it's even, you know, into the battle choreography and whatnot. I'm watching all the canon stuff over again, the films, Clone Wars and Rebels as a lead up to The Force Awakens. And I'm about 
not halfway, I guess, a little bit less than halfway through the Clone Wars. And it's funny, one of the moves that gets used here when the Seventh Sister reaches out with the Force and stops Ezra as he's trying to run away and sort of scoots him back. That's not something that's a traditional Star Wars move that you see a lot, but sure enough, it was in the episode of Clone Wars I just watched yesterday. Lethal Trackdown. Plo Koon does it to try to keep Boba from running away when Aura takes off. There's a lot of nods to it and a lot of, of similar ideas coming up. I have a hard time calling it Clone Wars 2.0 yet, because we do still have the focus, for the most part, on the existing Rebels characters, and the others are just kind of like the guest stars, but they're the big-name guest stars, like, hey, it's Matthew McConaughey, you know, all right, all right, all right, and he's just part of the show for a week. But they run a huge risk here. The more they delve into Clone Wars, as cool as that is for those of us who liked the Clone Wars and like to see this broader tapestry, the more they're going to wind up slowly but surely alienating those who particularly disliked Clone Wars. And unfortunately, one of the big draws to Rebels for a lot of people was, it's a heck of a lot better than the Clone Wars. And now it's seeping back into that territory. It's, I don't know, we've been talking about this this balance, this fine line they've been walking, and it's like they're starting to teeter towards a dangerous side. So, why don't we discuss the episode itself? As the episode opens, the Core Rebels group is now joined, as I said earlier, by Rex, and I guess Kanan is continuing Ezra's Jedi training. And he brings him into the common room and tells him to levitate Chopper. And this was a kind of a callback. This sequence here was kind of a callback to early in season one of Rebels, because you've got that kind of animosity brewing between Chopper and Ezra, and and later in the episode between Zeb and Ezra. And Ezra asks, if he levitates Chopper, can he drop him? And I just, that made me smile. I liked seeing that. But overall, I mean, what do you think about this setup, that some of the group is going to separate and go investigate this Republic medical facility? Well, I like to see the training, the Jedi training scenes, right? It's Star Wars. It's a new Padawan. You got to have some training scenes. But isn't he past kind of levitating Chopper by now? I mean, we've seen Ezra kind of take control of like some cave beast to beat the Grand Inquisitor. Now he's still trying to lift Chopper, who kind of sticks to the ground, so he can't really do it. He kind of should be past this now, don't you think? Yeah, it certainly feels pretty basic unless this is like the first step towards another part of the lesson or if the lesson is on the focusing and discipline and whatnot and maybe fine-tune control. Maybe you're supposed to levitate Chopper and then rotate him a certain way as the next step and we just never get to it. What gets me about this scene, it's less the whole can I drop Chopper and why is he doing it in the first place. It's two things. One, you mentioned the animosity with Chopper and and Ezra, but... That was kind of a surprising amount of, for lack of a better term, snarky pranking on Sabine's part. Sabine here in this scene is really kind of weird because she's the one that suggests that Chopper lock it down. And whenever it's revealed that he did, her laugh and the motions they've got with her animation really just do not work. They don't fit. Not the way we know the character, and the the animation itself doesn't fit with anything that's meant to look natural. So that was kind of bizarre. And then you've got the ongoing rivalry, which I do like, 
between Rex and Kanan, how they're, you know, one's the, the older, more seasoned veteran, but not a Jedi. The other one, younger, less experienced, but has the Jedi abilities and such. And they're sort of jockeying for who's going to be, you know, the top dog. And they're basically sitting there and dropping their junk out to measure it on the Jajaric table. I wonder how far they can really push that, though. I'm hoping that now that we get, to, as we get towards the end, there's a little bit of a begrudging respect between them because of a Jajaric game that we're going to see that start to fade because I don't know. It, it plays well the first few times we see these characters interact, but at this point, he's on the ship. He seems like he's going to be among the crew for a while, probably. It's got to dissolve at some point because this was always a family dynamic. There's a question of where does Rex fit into this family? Well, he's the crazy uncle. I don't know. I think introducing Rex into this dynamic could be a really good thing because he does bring this military discipline. I mean, and he he basically calls this out in the episode that Ezra doesn't have the discipline and to some degree as Ezra doesn't have the common sense that Rex necessarily sees that he should. Now, remember, he got to observe close up Anakin training Ahsoka. So he's seen what the Master Padawan dynamic looks like at least with those two as dysfunctional as it was. So his interactions and his background, it'll be interesting to see how it influences the development of Ezra and Kanan as Master and Apprentice. Yeah, and he was doing a lot of the training, too, if you notice. When you, when you mention that he's used to Ahsoka, Ahsoka was never really unconfident about her abilities and herself. She was always kind of snarky, you know, and I, you know, fly guy and all that, everybody can remember, but she never was not confident about herself as Ezra is, as Kanan is. And one thing that really stood out to me was who was doing more of the training there? Was it Ezra doing more of the training or was it Captain Rex? And Captain Rex is capable of training a Padawan, if you you know, in the ways of war. What struck me about the conversation is it seems like there's, I don't know, there was a disconnect between the way that Rex was goading Kanan versus the way he was looking at the situation. I mean, maybe it's a disconnect. Maybe it's just he's defining Jedi differently. But when he is talking about Jedi abilities and how you combine it with your wits and whatnot, and he's referencing Anakin, who he knew in a time of war as this great warrior. And when Kanan starts talking about doing things more of a Jedi way, he starts talking about, oh, you're just going to talk the Empire into backing down, etc., etc., it's odd. Rex talks about the Jedi one way when it's Anakin as his frame of reference, but when it's Jedi in general as his frame of reference, he starts talking down about them in the exact opposite way he was talking up Anakin. Well, remember, Anakin always was very verbal about how he disagreed with the way the Jedi did certain things. He was not your typical Jedi, and he often went against the dogma of the Order. And as a result, I think that kind of bled off onto Rex. I mean, hey, come on, he was only 10 years old. He was very impressionable. But no, I, I would agree that the, the discontent could certainly whittle down to the troops as we see in modern day and in, in real life. So Hera gives the assignment, I think it was originally to Chopper and Sabine to go to this medical facility to collect some supplies. Now, I don't know, what's the shelf date on medical equipment? I mean, Barrett, you should know. I mean, do you think medicine's that good after almost 20 years? Well, the potency goes down. So it's not like after 
it's not like food. Well, most of it, some of it's kind of like food, but a lot of medicine has preservatives in it. So if you take the medication past a certain due date, it's not like food where it goes bad and will make you sick. I mean, it can make you sick, but the potency goes down. So it's useful. You can still use it. Maybe it was all bandages. Yeah, maybe they're getting some spice. If it's medical supplies, I mean, it could be something like Bacta that doesn't really have a real-world equivalent to it. I mean, we don't know because we don't ever see actually inside the containers. All we see is the logo on it that suggests that that's sort of that late Clone Wars kind of era transitioning into the Empire. But, I mean, it could have been, it been medical droids. from It was just medical supplies. Generic, because they were going to a medical station. Generic. In any case... Ezra decides to tag along because he's doesn't want to get between the, if you'll excuse the term, almost the pissing match between Kanan and Rex. And so the four of them go off to this station. And I have to say, the visuals here looked really good. I thought that the way that they depicted this station, you know, kind of after all this time was really cool, even to the point where when the door opened, there was that little puff of debris that came out. I just thought they did a really nice job with it. I noticed that a lot of the lighting effects were really well done in the station. I mean, the station itself was a was a cool enough design. It sort of fits as the the rundown horror movie type set. But there's moments, for instance, where the fifth brother will come out with his lightsaber turned on and there's smoke from the explosions of some detonators and the light is, is what's the term, I guess, diffusing or whatever. It's it, The light looks sort of muddied and spread out and different from his lightsaber because of that debris that's in the air and I think it's a little bit of a fiery glow also. I mean, they, they're really sort of taking the bar upward, especially for those who, like me, have been recently looking back at old Clone Wars stuff, where there was such a jump between season one, two, to three, and onward. I mean, compare this to where we started with the Clone Wars, and there's no comparison. But this definitely is kind of the, for lack of a better term, the horror episode, isn't it? I mean, you've got this sort of creepy, almost abandoned base, and they're being stalked. They don't realize it at first, but as they're moving through this base, there's like these little probe droids that are spying and hunting them. Now, those were, to me, a direct callback to, and Nathan, you're going to have to help me with the name of the uh, Clone Wars episode, but it was the one where Anakin and Obi-Wan are traveling with Satine from Mandalore to Coruscant. Voyage of Temptation. Weren't those little droids a callback to that? similar. I don't think they were actually probe droids, if I recall, but I should know. I watched it the other day. They definitely got that cool horror vibe. It, of course, they also almost, I mean, maybe it's just the Ezra connection, but at the end when one of them claps or, or goes, Voo, or whatever he says whenever they escape, really reminded me of from Aladdin. But that's kind of a whole other thing. This is definitely the horror vibe. And we didn't really get first impressions of the episode. I don't think this episode ever really got a lot of tension for me. It never really reached that point where it felt like it was a horror or a suspense episode because you never really expected anything to really happen to the good guys. So much as it's all set up for my favorite scene of the episode at the very, very end to introduce these two new Inquisitors and kind of get us to that point. But if you want to make the horror movie comparison, you know what we're seeing here, right? There's past references to things. There's two killers stalking them around. One of them's wearing a special little mask. What's your favorite scary movie, Ezra? It's Scream! And wasn't Sarah Michelle Gellar who plays the uh, the female in one of the Scream movies? My first impression of these droids, 
was pretty cool because aren't these kind of the droids that were introduced in episode two that were uh, causing havoc to Anakin's ship when uh, he was uh, going after the bounty hunter? The the droids. Oh, these aren't buzz droids. Buzz droids. Okay, so these were that introduced was episode, in episode, that three. Was episode three. Okay, when they're trying yeah, to save Obi-Wan's Palpatine. ship. Right. Obi-Wan ship. Okay, so you I, may I want to start over <laughs> so with that one. No, 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 I don't want to start no, over. I've no seen them before. Were actually accurate. They're, they're painted black now, okay? They're in disguise, so it took me a little while. But we've seen these before in the big on the big screen. So it was kind of really cool to see them come back in Rebels, and I think they're a little bit smart, smaller. They're definitely a lot smarter, although the original ones, the Buzz Droids, were smarter. Pretty smart. But they're kind of like you know, the eyes and ears of this new Inquisitor that we have. And so I thought it was kind of cool to bring that back. You know, another callback from, some would say, inferior Star Wars, whether it be the prequel era era, or Clone Wars, but bring something back from that era that might not have been so cool, and now it's really cool. You know, another thing. Okay, just so you know... Those were never in the Clone Wars. Those were never in the movies. This is the first time we've ever seen them. We've seen things similar. We've never seen an ID-9 seeker droid before. Okay, so this is a different droid. But it's but a similar... But the, the, it gets that it's same similar aesthetic. to the bus droid, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a droid and it's tiny and it's got arms. Listen, I've been right before when you guys are <laughs> wrong. That's Especially- all right. I, I stand corrected on the whole Grand Inquisitor thing that I hadn't heard until the episode actually aired it and we recorded last week. So, hey... I'm good. I'm just saying, I've been right before in things, and you guys have no. And it's exactly what I've been right before. But no, they look like droids that we've seen before. So you can cut that out, Jonathan. But I, I think aren't, these aren't the buzz droids. These aren't the droids. That these have like- nothing to do with buzz droids and actually don't even look like buzz droids if you actually look at the buzz droids. They, they're just, they just look like a pro droid from Empire shrunk down. They look nothing like buzz droids. Well, Jonathan, you shouldn't stop me. <laughs> no, I was having too much fun. No, and they, they're definitely the little pets of, well, and let's talk about it. The, the real focus of this episode is the introduction of two new inquisitors, two new bad guys that we're going to probably be seeing a lot of in Rebels. We have the seventh sister and the fifth brother. And when they're revealing themselves, we learn that there's a whole bunch of these inquisitors. And now that the grand inquisitor has died, they're all kind of, vying for position and they're all searching out the rebels oh yeah so we got a little introduction of the fifth brother in the ending of last week's episode and jen had mentioned how his eyes kind of have that extra you know lizard thing you know like alligator that what is that called that covers their eyes that kind of nictating membrane thank you nictating membrane and he does have one and he looks really cool I don't know if it's a spoiler, spoiler alert, but there was something that was released this week that showed some kind of concept art from Episode 7. I'm not sure if that was true or not. Have you? Did you guys see that online? I did see that. I find it interesting. I mean, we know that Star Wars reuses, and so... I, hey, that's a good, uh, <laughs> that's a good as explanation as any. Maybe when we see the art of Episode 7 books come out, we'll see, you know, where they got some of these ideas. I find it interesting that Rebels, who knows how long it takes to make these shows, but around the same time that they were having concept art for Episode 7, they must have had it way before 
they were doing Rebels, or at least before production started on season two, in order to be able to use that character model. But one thing I want to say about these Inquisitors, they're not Sith. They keep saying they're not Sith. They're Dark Jedi, and they're not Sith. And I'm always asking myself, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? They're not Sith. They use the dark side. They have a red lightsaber. What does that mean? They're like Padawans, because they're not that powerful. You know what I mean? They're not as powerful as that Grand Inquisitor, definitely. And they're kind of on the same power level as Ezra, right? Well, that was something I was going to talk about later. I mean, we're really jumping all over this episode, an apology to the listeners. But I can't really say that they're always maybe not that powerful, because at the end, they're physically pulling back the Phantom. The Phantom is trying to get out of the bay, and they're able to hold it. That's something I don't think we've ever seen before, is it? They can hold it and manipulate the door to close manually at the same time. Because you notice that she starts moving her arm in a different way to cause the door to start to close while the Phantom is still being held. I did pick up on that. And this is something we've never seen. I mean, we've seen Yoda lift a ship. And we've seen Jedi move large objects. But to be able to pull back a ship that is trying to escape, that is something that I don't think we've ever seen in Star Wars before. Wait, wait, wait. We've seen this. We've seen Yoda do this. We've seen this in the Legends continuity. Now, I'm not sure that qualifies anymore, but in the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, Yoda takes down a bunch of ships in a battle. So that's what I mean, that they weren't strong enough to keep the ship because the ship just, you know, they, they hit the thrusters and they were able to fly away. I'm not so sure if it was a Sith or a trained Jedi master that that would have been able to occur. So it kind of makes it like they are Padawans, kind of, Inquisitor Padawans, kind of the equivalent of the Jedi Padawan. I agree there that they're, I mean, I've always viewed the Inquisitor and now the Inquisitors as kind of dark side adepts, to use a Legends term. But I don't know, you know, you know, to what you said, Berent, about the Tartakovsky series and Yoda taking down ships, to be honest... I still view the Tartakovsky series, well, obviously it's not canon anymore, but even even when it was, I viewed it more as kind of the tall tales, where everything was a little bit inflated. Well, all I gotta say is, if, if the issue here is moving ships with the Force, discounting Yoda and Empire lifting up the X-Wing and stuff, just looking at these guys, Starkiller from the Legends continuity is just sitting back looking at that Star Destroyer he just yanked down through the atmosphere and going, you got nothing on me. I, these guys are interesting in that there's so many echoes to elements we've seen before, right? They they embody the menace, or are supposed to, of the Grand Inquisitor now. We have a scene early on when Admiral Constantine is talking to Callus about how, well, we don't need this type of person. It goes right along with that disdain for the ancient religion that we saw amongst some of the Death Star officers when talking about Vader. And it's a lot like the conversation that we see members of the Imperial Bridge crew have when the bounty hunters are getting briefed on the hunt for the Millennium Falcon. Imperial officers seem to love to talk about and deride how they really just don't need the help of such and such badass within earshot of the badass so the badass can eventually kill them later for what they said. But I love the design choices that they've made with these. We've got the lightsabers, these these new Inquisitor lightsabers that are both slightly different but very much based on the same type of model that we got back with the Grand Inquisitor. So 
now we've got this idea that it's not just a gimmick for him. It actually is something that is a standard for that particular type. I think I mentioned that in the last episode. And then when you actually get to the characters themselves, we've got this one new sort of reptilian individual that we're getting here, the fifth brother. We have no idea what his species is, no idea what his natural abilities would be. Um, the name itself suggests there's a bunch of them out there, but we're not entirely sure, okay, well, what does that mean? Filoni seems to be suggesting that fifth brother, sixth brother, seventh brother, second brother is a ranking, and that you can work your way upwards or downwards, however the case may be, through that based on your actions. So he's kind of like the mystery character. And then you've got the seventh sister that really, really looks like she could be Barris Alfie, quite frankly, and is talking about Ahsoka. We've got this character that is a familiar species, but done in an unfamiliar sort of way in that now it's a dark sider, not someone who's supposed to be hiding within the Jedi. She can sort of let that all c- come out. Her eyes are designed differently, a little bit of a more sort of bright center in the dark around it to make her look more evil. And there's a great contrast between her and the fifth brother in terms of just physical design. The only thing that bothers me about the design of these two, because I think they're designed really, really well, I'm not quite sure on the audio design for these two, because we've seen Miri Allen's before, and we haven't seen his species, and yet he's speaking like a normal guy, and somehow she has this weird echo to her voice, and it's not just when she's got the mask on. When she's got the mask on, she talks like she's underwater. When she lifts the mask up, she's still echoing somehow, which is not something we've seen from Mary Allen before. And we have no reason for why her voice sounds like that. I really expected her to finally just turn to Ezra and be like, Ezra Bridger, you have failed this city or something because her voice just doesn't seem to fit a Mary Allen. It feels like there's an artificial change that she as a character must be making to it. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense with the other Mary Allens like Barris that we've seen. But otherwise, I love the design. You guys? I like the design of her. I mean, it was different. And I, I have to say, I kind of like the mask look. The, the Her whole outfit was, I don't know, it, it worked for me. But the thing that I especially liked about this character was her personality. It was kind of a hybrid of things that we've seen before. You know, we got some of the, I guess now, Grand Inquisitor. For me, I got a lot of Asajj Ventress out of her. That kind of playful where at times she's almost flirting with Ezra, which was uncomfortable in its own way. Yeah. I miss Asajj. Part of me kind of hopes it was Asajj. Didn't we spoil? Um, yeah, I think we did. We did. We spoil it last week. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just, just saying it, it, it can't be Asajj. Uh, make sure you read a uh, dark. Right. Side. That's why I guess as part of me wishes it was, but it's not, I like the way I like the way she looks. I think that her design is better than the fifth brother's design. Actually, she has her little cogs, her little imperial cogs on her shoulders and the cool mask and the helmet. And you could see how someone who could turn that into a cosplay outfit. Now, you'd have to look like Lou Ferrigno to cosplay as the fifth brother. And one thing I noticed about not only their look, but their look does coincide with kind of their personality. She's kind of sleek and... And like you said, kind of sexy and stuff like that. And he's kind of his his character is kind of brutish and he's not really that smart, which I don't know if I like that much that he's kind of like the oafish, savage, oppressed character now that we have. You know, I want I want my Sith to be smart. You know, I want him to be cunning. All of them to be cunning. I know they, they can't really do that, but then, then introduce one at a time. You know what I mean? Am I 
maybe I'm just kind of nitpicking here, but I don't think these Inquisitors are evil enough. They're definitely not as evil as the Grand Inquisitor. I don't know if it's evil so much as it's just... I mean, we know they're not on his level if they were his underlings, basically, and now jockeying for position and coming out of having just seen the Grand Inquisitor, having just seen Vader, even Tarkin to a degree, these don't feel as much of a threat as some of the other threats that they've faced. So they get this great episode to introduce them um, that has that's supposed to be all suspenseful, but A, the characters can't really be hurt, uh, at least not in the long run, as far as we know. And then here's these two that come in, but they feel like they're the JV team, essentially, as far as the Inquisitors go. As for the voice, though, let me toss this one out. I had one theory about why the voice would be modulated on her instead of him. What if this is just their attempt to make her sound less recognizable because it is Sarah Michelle Gellar doing the voice work? Granted, that's got to be make for some hilarious you know, domestic jokes behind the scenes, given the fact that now you've got wife going after husband, right? Freddie Prince Jr. But I don't remember them doing that with other recognizable voices before, but maybe this time that's all it is. It's just, you know, they're just going to write it off as, well, that's just the way she speaks. We just wanted to change the voice a little bit. Or do you think that there's actually a a rational reason in-universe as to why she would have that weird modulation? Not to be obnoxious, but honestly... Does Sarah Michelle Geller have a recognizable voice? Has she done anything in the past couple of years that's really kept her in the public eye? I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer has had that perennial thing where it, it, it continues on as a recognizable character and voice to a large extent. I wouldn't be able to recognize her voice. I probably wouldn't either, but once you know that it's her and then you hear the voice, I wonder if they were worried that that was kind of like all that people would be imagined was her as that as opposed to otherwise. But they didn't do that kind of thing, of course, with Freddie Prince Jr. Then again, what was his last big one? Wing Commander? No? I think it was the Scooby-Doo films again. Oh, God. We're back to (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Is is it better or worse than Sunny Day in the Void being referenced every episode? Hmm. (laughs) You had to bring it up. Yes, exactly. So, again, looking at our core characters... There was a different dynamic. As I said earlier, at one point, it almost felt like a regression between Ezra and Zeb because they're kind of being like siblings jockeying again. And they're like, well, I'm going to find the medical supplies before you because I'm quicker and I'm faster. And oh, you got to got to watch your head. And then Ezra turns around and smacks his head into a bar. I mean, very, very slapstick. But later in the same episode, Ezra is ready to almost sacrifice himself to save Sabine. So in that respect, I just, I wish they'd kind of taken a, almost like a direction with these characters and stayed with it because their shifts didn't feel genuine to me. How about you guys? It definitely felt like there was some inconsistency. I do think that we're showing the growth of Sabine being willing to trust Ezra and Ezra being willing to actually sacrifice himself for her if it comes down to it, because we've seen him with the group as a whole. Now it's specifically with her, but it didn't feel like it was to impress her, like it would have been, you know, early on in season one, that this was actually just, it's what a Jedi would do, as the Seventh Sister even says when he tries pulling it off. But there are some moments that feel a little tonally off, just like that, the weird laugh from Sabine earlier in the episode. How many of these guys are there? Two! I don't know. For some reason, the answer of two that was 
supposed to be literal, supposed to be snarky, supposed to be anything but funny came off as very ham-fisted to me. Whereas what you were mentioning earlier as, as slapsticky, him hitting his head immediately after telling Zeb, you know, that he's so much better, blah, blah, blah. That, to me, was a funny moment. But you could very easily compare that to, say, The Phantom Menace and stepping in poop or my tongue, it's fried, and all that. I think the difference here is that this episode uses those humorous moments to lighten you could, I guess, lighten the mood. I was say lighten the tension, but like I said, I didn't really feel much tension with the episode. To lighten the mood of the episode that is otherwise pretty dark without the context of having all these other goofy things happening around it, like Jar Jar speak and whatnot. So, I don't know, Slapstick worked okay here, but other moments that were supposed... I don't know. Do you think the answer of two was supposed to be funny? Was that what they were... Were they going for funny? Were they going for snarky? It Whatever it was didn't hit. I didn't take it as snarky or funny. I just took it as she's, I don't know, she's, she's kind of freaking out because they know how much trouble they had with the Grand Inquisitor. Now they, now there's two more of them. I, I think she wants to get the hell out of there. So you're thinking there's like an unspoken OS word in front of that. Pretty much. Essentially. Okay. Because even just saying two seemed to me like that wouldn't be her answer. She's the one who's supposed to be more tactically sound than Ezra, she wouldn't just declare that there's two until they knew for sure that was all that there were. But you're thinking more of it just like an exclamation of, holy crap, I, I could go with that. Well, one of the things I want to know, and I'm not sure if I missed it during the episode, how did these Inquisitors find out about this mission of theirs? Did I miss something there? Did they just pop up and show up and nobody questioned that? Well, I caught this on the second viewing. The sister says that her pets let her know that they were there. So I think once they got there and started the whole thing up, I think those probe droids, or at least some of those probe droids, had already been there. And, you know, maybe searching for likely places that the rebels might go. I mean, is this going back to, well, the Empire knows that they've hooked up with Rex they know Rex's experiences. They know a lot of what he knows. And so they're going to stake out places that they think Rex may direct them. Well, isn't this supposed to be a place that Rex didn't tell the Empire about? That's the whole point of them going to this thing, right? That was my question, though. I, they don't necessarily say it initially, I don't think, which makes me think maybe it's that they're looking for bases the Empire doesn't know about, but there may be supplies that they were not, because obviously, surely the, the Empire, if the Empire was in control of this station and then eventually abandoned it once the Clone Wars was over with and left supplies there, surely, uh, even if it was supplies from the Clone Wars, surely they know it exists. So I was just thinking this was just something he happened to know about as a resource, but he's keeping all those really good hidden places as places for secret bases, maybe. But they don't, they don't address it at all. Well, they do in a way because I think, and I can't remember, I think maybe it's Ezra that talks about, well, maybe we should remember this for a possible base. And is it Sabine or Zeb who goes, no way. This, I don't think they were going there looking for a base. They were going there simply looking for supplies. And this wouldn't be a terribly good place to have a base because, well, I mean, when they turn on the lights, the Empire knows almost immediately. I don't think that this was explained very well. I mean, these Inquisitors have just got introduced. Why would her pets actually be on some base out in the Outer Rim or wherever this base was, just 
out of the blue. I mean, how many of these things are around? I don't think it was explained very well. I think it's kind of a MacGuffin that we have to just accept that they found him. But my question to you is, Vader knows that Ahsoka is alive. He tells the Emperor this. The Padawan of Anakin Skywalker is still alive. And he sends these two. Do you think this is a case of Vader not really wanting them to get caught? That he's sending these two kind of low-powered, incompetent inquisitors to go after him? Because why didn't they send Sister One and Brother One? I don't think that Vader necessarily sent them. I think he tasked all the inquisitors to go search these people out and search out Ahsoka. Well, they even say that in the episode about how, you know, now that the Grand Inquisitor is gone, you've got all the Inquisitors, tons of Inquisitors on your butt now. So, yeah, there, there's some among many. And remember, this wasn't Vader's choice. This wasn't Vader saying, well, I'm going to send the Inquisitors out after them. I don't want to go after Ahsoka. I don't want to go after Kanan and Ezra. Remember, that was Palpatine telling him at the end of Siege of Lothal Send the Inquisitors. You got other work to do. Send the Inquisitors. They'll let you know when they find them. You're not wasting your time on a search. We even compared that, if I remember, to the uh, the Legends thing of the don't spend all your time searching for you know Jedi who might have survived. You've got other responsibilities. So Vader seems like he's just waiting to get a call from these guys. And who knows? Probably maybe that's where the next episode or two episodes or whatever finally come down the road where this encounter finally draws him back into the fray. I'm more concerned about just. Man, this idea that, well, they know who is, they know that Ahsoka is out there. There's a couple things that stood out to me in that scene where they were, where they have the conversation between Ezra and the seventh sister, where he gets in some nice barbs, some nice verbal barbs along the way. I love the, he, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> he, he can mouth off all he wants if he doesn't believe she's going to kill him. But we have that moment where Ezra is being questioned. He says, you know, the Jedi are dead or the Jedi are all gone. And his answer is not all of them. Well, damn, Ezra. Maybe she didn't realize there were more than just you or just you and Kanan. Maybe you just let it slip. Now, granted, she then immediately confirms we know about Ahsoka, but that was a heck of a breach of secrecy for Ezra. And then in her part, when she says, oh, we know of Ahsoka and his reaction, it's interesting the way they play that and how they emphasize the reaction, which again makes me really hope that there's more into that than just the way the scene played out and that somehow or another we will eventually find this as Barris because Mary Allen, female, Darksider. We have no idea what happened to Barris other than just supposedly going off to prison. Palpatine certainly knew all about it. And here she seems to be having this interesting reaction and this bouncing back and forth with Ezra at the mention of Ahsoka. It's probably a pipe dream, but kind of hoping. She's too young to be Barris. Is she? I mean, she would be about, I mean, does the Seventh Sisters model look any younger? than Ahsoka's? Because they'd be around the same age. I think that the seven. I took the Seventh Sister as being in her early 20s. Isn't that what Barris would be? Because Barris was, what, 14? And you add another 15 years, that'd be 29, you know? With this style of animation, it's kind of hard to do any kind of progression looking back at Clone Wars versus this. I mean, you look at Rex, you know, you could argue of whether or not that's a natural progression. Ahsoka, is that a natural progression between the two different years based on what we think of in terms of age? Plus the fact that we don't know how Mary Allen's age. That too. We just know that this one talks like she's underwater and wants to save the city from Damien Dark or something. 
That would be great if it was Barris. That would be great. She's still around out there. Why not? The only thing is, it doesn't look like Barris. It looks like the same species, but it doesn't look like Barris. Doesn't talk like Barris. I have to agree. I think it'd be exceptionally cool, but I don't see it happening. But then, I mean, what happens next? Clone Wars 2.0 arguments start all over again, right? If it is, if it does somehow even tie into Barris, here comes a 2.0. Speaking of of repeated stuff, did you notice? As things are, are heating up, as we're getting towards the escape, that you guys mentioned the callbacks to other episodes and like the, and seeing the, the parallels to other parts of the saga. I was kind of surprised. They seem to have modeled the ending escape, at least in part, off of what we saw in Siege of Lothal. And I was actually cringing. The one moment where I was actually cringing thinking about the characters in peril, not because I thought they were going to get killed or something, but because of what it reminded me of. There's Sabine standing on the ramp of the Phantom, shooting down at a lightsaber-wielding dark side bad guy. In this case, she's got Ezra at her side, but the last time that there was a dark side lightsaber-wielding bad guy and she was getting herself back onto the boarding ramp of a vehicle was when she got blasted in the face in her faceplate that started the whole change of the look for her. And here she is, unhelmeted, kind of pulling the same thing. That made me cringe a little bit, but I guess it maybe shows her trust in Ezra. But was it an intentional parallel? I love the parallel there. See, I didn't even pick it up as a parallel. The only thing I kept thinking is they're making their escape and the uh, back of the Phantom is open. It's like, I really hope they close that door before they uh, breach the uh, magnetic shield. They're going to all die. Well, that door closes really, 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 really slow and seems to stop a couple times. So I think they got time. So now we're getting close to the end here. Before we wrap up, my favorite scene of the episode actually comes at the end. There's all kinds of great, not tension, but again, horror movie style stuff earlier. We get these two new characters with their cool designs, great sound work, light work, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, it all comes down to the moment at the end where they get back. And Kanan says, you know, we need to talk. And Ezra and Sabine and Zeb finally reveal that they just ran into two more Inquisitors and ask the question, why didn't you tell us? Now, that by itself, I thought was kind of weird. You know, yeah, he probably would have told you had he known. And why doesn't he just say, I didn't know right then? But the fact that as they leave, Kanan has, he had gone through this look of shock whenever they told him. But as everyone else kind of starts filing out, it's basically just him, Rex, and Hera. You see him go through these great animations capturing the emotion without him having to really say anything. They ask, you know, did you know? I didn't know. We really have no idea what we're up against, do we? And again, it's those subtle, very human animations that they get that just add so much weight to that scene that otherwise wouldn't have been there without the subtleties to it. To me, that scene makes the episode. If that hadn't left us with that feeling of, wow, holy crap, they really don't know what they've gotten into. And it was just, I'm glad you escaped, kids. I don't think that would have worked. They needed that moment of Kanan's whew and realizing how deep they're in. Not just because it's a quizzers, because of the depth of what they don't know. It made the episode for me. You know, Nathan, I have to agree with you. That was a very powerful scene. And it wasn't necessarily what you'd expect. But it was interesting to me that they kind of came in and they all assumed that Kanan would know that they were there. But then just Kanan's kind of look, it's like, Okay, what, what are we going to do? What, are, what have we done? And, you know, what's coming next? I mean, there was palpable dread there. And does it seem like, and maybe it's just me, but it raised a little bit of the specter of, well, where exactly, oh, no pun intended with specter, of where is Ahsoka right now? 
because granted she doesn't need to be in every episode or anything but there's a question of well did you know there were more inquisitors do you think ahsoka knew i honestly don't know and it kind of makes you wonder one what does ahsoka know but also how much time has she actually been around to share intel on anything that she knows about this with rex we saw them hug but she was on a search for answers and just happened to be back on the ship when that happened. It doesn't seem like there were answers found. Maybe Ahsoka is off back there in the galaxy once again, and there just hasn't been a lot of reconnect and intel sharing time for Rex and Ahsoka. We just, we don't know where she is when she's absent. I got a feeling she's going to show up with, with you know, Vader on her tail or something. Well, she can't be in every episode. It's not her show. And did you notice that Rex didn't go on the mission with him either? So again, they're walking the fine line. To make it not be Clone Wars 2.0. No, he didn't go with them because they only had a limited amount of room on the Phantom. How convenient. They can all fit on the Phantom. We've seen them all fit on the Phantom. Well, nobody else, when the Hera didn't go, Kanan didn't go. Oh, you know, when we talk about that, about who went and who didn't, I'm, I'm jumping back, but it was something that I didn't pick up on, but again, my kids did. How did Chopper climb the ladder? You know, Chopper's got a got a rocket booster that somehow he switches out for his wheel from time to time. I still haven't quite figured out how that works. It must rotate or something inside him. You know, I'm glad you brought up Chopper because we were going to miss this. In this episode, Chopper gets jumped by one of those droids. And the droids actually does something to Chopper. He's putting his little hands in Chopper and Chopper's little satellite dish kind of spins around. And the next thing, next time we see Chopper, he's being picked up by, what is it, Zeb. So I wonder if that's going to play into something in the future here and there. Maybe they maybe they were supposed to be let go. You know, something happened with Chopper that they kind of just kind of let go. They let that that thread go for right now. One thread I did see growing with Chopper, which is also one we didn't mention. Chopper gets some development here. All of a sudden, we find that over time, although we haven't really seen it, Ezra is starting to be able to understand Chopper as to a degree can Sabine, as to a degree can Hera and so forth. Which is interesting to me because I've always thought it was kind of funny, this Star Wars dynamic of, wait, there are people that can understand R2? Now there are people that under- understand Chopper? There are people that can understand Chewbacca? These are human ears, right? It's just, I always thought that was kind of the most amusing thing. You know, you, in order to do some type of communication with characters that don't speak in basic or English or whatever you want to call it, you just kind of have to take for granted that some people are going to be able to translate and beeps. And we just got to go with it. Everything else we nitpick and that we just go with every time. I have been, I, like I said, last episode, I've been, uh, been understanding Chopper lately. You know, I can understand what he's been saying. Chopper's speech isn't like R2D2 speech. R2D2 speech is a lot of beeps and buzzes. And depending on the pitch and how high the pitch is or low or whatever, it's him laughing or agreeing. Chopper just kind of beeps what he's saying. So if he says, Oh, no, you don't. Or get out of here. It's like, you know, it's kind of you can kind of listen to it and kind of make out what what Chopper's saying. It's not like R2-D2 beeping. I have to agree with Baron. I can understand what Chopper is saying. We all talked about this last season that we could pretty much discern, you know, when Chopper was cussing out, you know, some of the other characters. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's a difference between kind of stuff versus actual technical specific communication like the difference between saying 314 of this versus 912 of that and that sort of like when you get to the nuances of conversation it's something more than you know kind of caveman grunts 
When you just said want, 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 I just realized what Chopper's been saying this whole time. He's exactly. That. He's been oh saying the goodness. same thing every time. We've been Holy saying it. Mouth, Chopper, you- you're potty mouth. Wow. <laughs> Haven't we been joking about that since the beginning? I just got the joke. Just when you said it like that, in that wah, context. Wah, wah. Yeah, you could have been saying the other thing, and it, I would have understood you. See, you just talked Chopper, and I understood in Chopper's language. I'm waiting for Chopper to do that. Wah, 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 wah. Ah. But... Jonathan, did you see Chopper get messed with by that droid? Oh, yeah. The droid basically stuck his little manipulators in him and, and treated him like a little puppet. Do droid rape. He, droid rape. He, he put in a, <laughs> he put a uh, tracking device, a bomb. Is Chopper now working for the Empire? Well, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, certainly they could have done that, but I think when the probes were done with him, they pretty much left him for dead. And it took Zeb kind of stumbling over him and getting him working again by hitting him. I mean, (laughs) whatever. I thought it was just that they were, that the droid was just turning him off, right? He's been zapped, but okay, we need to make sure he actually doesn't come back to again. So click off, just like you can switch C-3PO off. No, no, no. The droid definitely puts his hands in two places inside Chopper. One's kind of by his dome, like underneath the dome, because Chopper kind of has a space there. And one was kind of in his chest area where I guess we would have the heart. But it was two different areas, and Chopper's, like I said, his dish was spinning around like he was somehow having, having a malfunction. Oh, my God. I just had this picture in my head of, like, you know, Chopper's back with the Rebel fleet, and he's with, like, a 2-1-B droid. Now, show me, Chopper, on the doll where he touched you. (laughs) Wah, wah, wah! (laughs) You know that if Chopper, though, if Chopper turns out to become a homicidal maniac because of what that droid did to him, nobody will be able to tell the difference. (laughs) That is the truth. So, all in all, it was a great show. I think. I think that it kind of stayed away from the slapstick. I mean, it has to give us some moments of levity. It can't be too serious, like you mentioned, Jonathan. But it was a good episode. The Inquisitors, you know what the Inquisitors did for me this episode? They didn't put fear in my heart. But what they did do was they made me like the characters more. I don't want anything to happen to Ezra. I don't want Sabine to die. I don't want him to get hurt. Uh, I'm I'm getting to like Chopper and even Zeb, you know. So what they're doing by introducing these new characters for me is they're making me like the core characters more. Something that I kind of brought up and complained about in the first season. Like, why should we care about these characters? You know, they're not Ahsoka. And now that we got Ahsoka, it's great to have her. But I love my characters now. You know, and I, I realized that during this episode. So if the Inquisitors did anything for, for me this episode, that's what they did. You can't do anything to Zeb. I mean, Zeb is apparently, according to him, the last of his kind. I'm really hoping that that's just meaning like one of the few. Otherwise, we just had the surviving Lasat population narrow down to one in canon, which didn't seem like that was what they were trying to do. He was just kind of joking around. And, and it was a funny line. I think, I mean, that's that's kind of the weirdness of this episode. There are some good funny moments. There are some good character moments. And it's all sewn together by this dark, yet not all that suspenseful quasi-horror tale. It's a weird package that we got this week. I do think that this was a stronger episode than the previous two. I don't think this is as strong as many of the stronger episodes that we got back in Season 1 or Siege of Lothal. But it's getting there. It's... 
It's an episode that I would rate up there as pretty good, but it's not among the greats yet. I'm still waiting for something in season two, post Siege of Lothal, to really reach those heights of greatness. But then again, a lot of the ones in season one that reached that height didn't come along until late in the season. So hopefully we have that to look forward to. See, when I think back to season one, it changed the way I looked at individual episodes. I see this as a chapter in a greater story. We talked a lot about that as season one wrapped up, is that it was one overarching story that had different components to it. And that's what I see this episode as. As a standalone episode, to be honest, I thought it wasn't all that great. I thought it had some really good components, but as part of laying the groundwork for these two new Inquisitors, that I think we'll look back on this episode, maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe in a couple of months, and say that that really did set the stage. Now bring on the next Inquisitor, the third piglet, the puffer pig with a lightsaber. You know, you have a problem. (laughs) One of these days, you know, we got to talk about Sabine's last name and if it has anything to do with with Kylo. Because they're both Rins, right? Except one's got a W. Isn't that strange that they would name two new characters, both Ren? Bullshoot, you got... Kylo Ren and Kaibo Rincha, the freaking pirate from droids. You made fun of me when I could, when, when we were first getting information about episode seven and you were talking about Kylo Ren and I didn't, I, you know, I was at the time trying to stay mm-hmm. spoiler free and you're, and I'm like, why the hell are you talking about droids? Why is yeah. droids coming back? <laughs> That'd be really funny if the, if he pulls off the mask and it is, you know, Kaibo Rencha, then I'm out. Andy Serkis is playing an old evil Jar Jar. (laughs) Well, guys, thanks for talking through another episode with me. As always, a lot of good discussion. It was great. It was a great episode. And I agree with with what you said. And it, it was nice talking to you guys, you know, and I hope that the listeners are really enjoying the Rebels season two as much as we are up to this point. And I can't wait until next week's episode. And Vader's got to show up eventually. Yep. And thank you, folks, for your patience as we've been working out these insane schedules behind the scenes to make sure that you still get the episode coverage that you've been expecting, even if they get a little pushback. But we're working on it. Yeah, I want to second that. We all have our own lives as well. And sometimes the real life interferes with Star Wars lives, but we are working on it and we're trying to get you the quality episodes that you've come to expect from us. But until next time, long live the rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. 
Star Wars Rebels, and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved.